You're listening to audio from Queen City Church. Thank you for joining us. We hope this message will encourage you and offer practical steps for a relationship with God that keeps getting better and better. We are in the middle of a series about the book of Ephesians. So every single week we are unpacking Ephesians chapter by chapter. This is week three. So surprisingly, we're going to be talking about chapter three today. Um, And we're actually going to pick up in verse 14 and move on because verses 1 through 13, Paul does something that would make my high school English teacher so proud. Um, He does that thing where he like tells you what he's going to tell you and then he tells you and then he tells you what he told you. Uh, Verses 1 through 13 is kind of like, this is what I told you and it's awesome. So we are going to pick up in verse 14 and it says this, Paul says, when I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. When I pray from his glorious and limited resources that he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit, then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now, glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. And the church said, amen. Amen. If you're taking notes, I want to talk to you about a message titled, There is More for You. There is more for you. And just by a quick show of hands, I would love to see um, who has ever had a great coach. It could be a basketball coach, vocal coach, pickleball coach. Hey, where my pickleballers at? Um, I love a good coach. And I love Paul. He's one of those people that I'm like, I really hope I get to meet him in heaven. Um, Because he's such a great coach. He's one of those people that I think, man, if you ever decide not to do ministry, I personally, I know it's up to me, um, would love for you to be a coach. Because you're just so great at giving people next steps to get better and better. And you help them be better leaders. And you lead so well. And um, when I was reading this, I was thinking about Pastor Brian, because I feel the same way. I've thought for years, man, if God ever calls him away from ministry, um, you can be a coach. And you can pick any type of coach. You can be a coach of sports. You can be a life coach. Um, I feel like in many ways, you've been a bit of a life coach to me. Um, and I'm so grateful, man. I, I, I have the receipts. We all have the receipts, if you've been around, of who I was before God put you in my life, where you could intervene as a coach in my life. And I'm so thankful for all the questions that you've asked me over the years. Like, why is that your Twitter handle? And um, are you sure it's wise to spend so much on nectar when you need a car? (laughs) You know, all sorts of um, good things over the years. But you also, um, more than just, or even... As much as you've helped me understand areas where I can grow, you've also affirmed um, the gifts and callings that God's put on my life and helped me make better game time decisions and um, be a better leader. I'm just so thankful. Y'all, I said this in the first service right before I got up to speak. Heather was coaching me, and I was like, I will not, I will not cry, cry, cry. Um, I'm just so thankful for the both of you, and um, not just for me personally, but our church is what it is because of um, your yes, and I just love you guys so very much. Can we put our hands together and just honor our Pastor Brian and Heather? 
Love you guys so much. And because of you, some things I know about great leaders is that they always want you to live up to your capacity. And it's never for them, it's always for you. They want you to know what it's like to win. They want you to know what it's like to live in the full extent of your potential, of your capacity, of your purpose. They want you to get to experience what that's like. And as a parent, I want the same thing for my kids. I want my kids to win, man. I want my kids to have it better than I have it. I want them to have an even more stable home. I want them to play all the sports and activities so they can discover the gifts and passions that God put inside of them even sooner than I did. And because that's my desire for them, I am willing to work for the increase that I want them to experience, right? I, I want Maverick, uh, Nat and I have some discussion about this, but I want Maverick to play t-ball next year. Um, but I'm not asking him to get a part-time silverware sorting gig uh, so that we can help afford t-ball next year. No, I'm going to work for that. I'm going to work for the increase that I want him to experience because that's how legacy works. And that's exactly how Paul is working. He's in prison. Um, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Brian was reading how Paul's like, I've been whipped, I've been beaten, I've been stoned, and so very much more for preaching the gospel that he so desperately wants to see take roots in the lives of the churches that he's helping lead and helping oversee. And so what's happening is in these letters, Paul's in prison. We would call Ephesians a book. He would call it a letter. And he's writing these letters to the different churches, um, the different bodies of believers, groups of believers that he helps oversee. And in all these letters, but especially in Ephesians, he's like, you got to get the gospel. It's so good. It's so important. It'll change your life. I want you to experience what it's like to live in light of the gospel. Um, and so what he does in chapter three, he starts praying for God to give the church increase in several different areas to help them live in light of the gospel. And so that's what we're going to talk about today is the different areas where Paul prayed for increase in our life. Um, and so the first one, the first area Paul prayed for increase is in our core. He says in verse 16, he says, I pray from his glorious and limited resources that he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. And so when I say core, I'm talking about the group of muscles that specifically de designed to help control and protect your spine. So when you're standing up, you're sitting down, you're bending over, hinging at the hip, squatting, whatever it is, it's that group of muscles that's below your rib cage, above your knees, that help give you that sense of internal strength and stability. And so if you've known me for an extended period of time, something you'll know about me is that I really enjoy working out and things got real crazy when I learned about C4, okay? I would hop into the gym just so excited. <laughs> I love to work out. Um, but if you know something else about me, I've spent the past couple of years growing humans. Um, and so if you fast forward five years until now, something you'll learn is that I've kind of hit the reset button a little bit in terms of the strength that I had developed over those years before I started having kids. And so I have this app on my phone, it's called Get Mom Strong. And it's this super like jacked, ripped mom that's helping moms um, gain their strength and stability back. And so I was so pumped when I first started it. I got my little phone out, cause she does these videos. I have all the equipment on the floor. I'm like, I'm ready. And so the first thing she does in this first module, it's very complicated. Here's what she has you do. She has you lay on the floor. And for 20 minutes, 20 very long minutes, 
you breathe. <sighs> 20 minutes, I'm not kidding. Um, in fact, you don't pick up a weight for literally like a month. Um, and the reason for that, she has one goal and one goal only, to help you connect your mind with your core so that you can control and, and manage your core moving forward. Because your overall strength and stability for everything that you need to do is managed by your core. And so I brought a picture um, of our sweet baby girl, Jet Rose. Oh, can never have too many pictures of Jet. Uh, this is her seven-month birthday in this picture. Jet's seven months old. And she's in one of my absolute favorite um, periods of infancy. She's just starting to sit up. And so she's no longer confined to tummy time. She can kind of sit up, turn her head and her body. She'll giggle at her brother who's doing something destructive somewhere. And then she'll look at her dad and just light up and smile and giggle. Um, but what I've learned in these initial stages, Jet, um, you kind of have to keep a hand. You don't have to keep it on her because she can sit up. Like she can do it. But you just have to keep it like somewhere near her um, because in the blink of an eye that girl she doesn't just like slide she just on her back um, just straight up slain in the spirit Benny Hinn that girl she is on her back and it comes out of nowhere there's absolutely no warning and the reason for that is because her core is super duper weak um, her core is super duper weak and and the thing about that what it makes me think about is that there are many of us, um, maybe you're in this room, maybe you're listening online, but sometimes that's what our spiritual life can look like, right? You can be in a season where you're like, I feel so good. You know, I'm reading my Bible every day and I'm going to small group, I'm going to church, I feel super stable, I've got good relationships. And then it's like, in the blink of an eye, I am not good. I got some news that I wasn't expecting. Maybe my marriage suddenly feels like it's hanging by a string. Maybe I lost someone or something that's very dear to me or you name it. I'm in a season of anxiety, depression, like Lauren talked about. We have these things that happen and then I am not good. And it feels like it happened in the blink of an eye. And the reason for that, before I get to the reason for that, a visual that I feel like I have for people who are walking through that, which has been me in many, many seasons of my life, is I feel like what happens is we're on the pendulum side of I'm doing really, really, really good. And then we don't go back to the middle and we're like, ah, I'm struggling. We go all the way to the other side, right? I'm a really, 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 really bad. And so what happens is it's like our spiritual core just sort of gives out on us. And we start engaging in all these numbing behaviors because a weak spiritual core makes us unstable. And so Paul in this chapter, he's like, hey church, I want you to meet and exceed your potential. I want you to experience all that God has for you and has called you to do. But you're not gonna be able to do that without having a strong spiritual core. That sense of internal strength and stability, we're all gonna need that. And what I love about Paul is he doesn't just say, you need this. He tells you, okay, and when you have this, this is what it looks like. Because we all want to be prepared, right? I, I want to know that when I experience a jolt in life, that I have a strong spiritual cord that I know can withstand it. And so Paul says, hey, here's how you can tell if you have a strong spiritual core. 
Verse 17, he says, then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. So how do you know? The first thing is you trust in God. You trust in God. When you have a strong spiritual core and you experience a jolt in life, just like if you're in the car and someone hits the brakes, you brace yourself. And when you have a strong spiritual core, what you brace yourself in is the trustworthiness of God. I did not expect this situation to happen. I didn't expect this loss. Uh, But here's what I know. My very first instinct is that God is trustworthy, that he is good, that he is for me, that he has a plan and a purpose for my future, for my children, for my family, for my marriage. You brace yourself within the trustworthiness of God. Here's the second thing. Here's the second way you know. Your roots grow deep in God's love. I've always been fascinated with the visual of tree roots. I actually brought one. Um, I, I, it literally does, it's like being on a beach for me to look at tree roots. Um, and there's a couple of reasons why. Number one, I, I cannot think about tree roots without thinking about storms. Because I think when you look at tree roots, the storm is what reveals how deep the roots are right? If you're looking at a really tall tree, you've seen it. If you've been in a really gnarly storm, you've seen where a tree ends up on the ground, right? After the storm. But if a tree has really deep roots, the storm reveals that those roots are steady and stable. But here's the second thing that I think about are tree stumps. I think about tree stumps. Number one, because they're really hard to get out of the ground. (laughs) But number two, Kind of a life principle we live by is that how the smaller something is, the weaker it is, right? But that's not the case with a tree stump. If you put a tree stump in a storm and you put a massive tree in the storm, if they both have deep roots, they're both going to be in exactly the same place at the end of the storm. And that's because when it comes to tree roots, the outward appearance matters 0% compared to the roots. And when it comes to you... Your outward appearance matters 0% compared to your roots. When our roots are correctly rooted in the love of God, we are stable in the midst of a storm. And what God has put on my heart is that I know there are people in this room, there are people that are listening online who go through rough seasons, and yes, you know, maybe a little bit of pendulum, but I feel like there are people who go through the seasons, and that season is triggered by a sense of feeling failure or like you made a massive mistake. And that's what triggers that pendulum movement for you, is you're feeling like, I failed. I didn't do what God called me to do, or I didn't, or I didn't get this job, or I didn't um, behave the way I intended to. I failed. And it's almost like um, that sense of failure When the pendulum swings so hard, um, it's almost like the greater the failure or the greater growth I've experienced, the greater the failure. Um, And so I was thinking of an example of this. Um, I... I, I'm very dependent on the reading plan in my Bible app. So I love the version Bible app. Um, I like it for one, it does the thinking for me. It tells me exactly what to read and when to read it. And then I check a little box when I've read it. And then it keeps track of my reading streaks, right? Um, and so 
Um, if I go three days and then I miss a day, I'm like, oh, it's fine. I'll pick back up tomorrow. Um, but what I've learned about myself is like the greater the growth I have, the deeper the failure feels. So if I go three months and then I miss a couple days, a week, uh, a couple weeks, you know, I go on vacation, I forget something. I literally, there's something inside of me that avoids the Bible app. It's like I, I cannot face what I feel is my failure. And so the pendulum goes straight to the other side. Now I don't want to look at my Bible. Now I'm afraid that, you know, God feels like I don't care about him. Whatever it is, whatever that narrative is in your mind, what happens is I feel like I can't face my imperfection. I know that's a really random example. Um, you can, you know, give the example of eat an eating plan, man. When you fall off your eating plan, then you're, right, we go ham. Then it's like dessert every meal, right? I've been there. <laughs> Speaking from experience. Um, but if you experience that, you know what I'm talking about. But here's what happens. When your roots are in performance then those things can trigger you. When your roots are not in God's love, your roots are in performance, here's what the narrative in your mind starts to sound like. If I perform well, I'm stable. If I don't perform well, I'm unstable. If I perform well, God loves me. He's proud of me, right? I'm making God so proud in my life right now. If I don't perform well, God's disappointed in me. And, and maybe even I need to do something to earn God's love back right? That's the narrative that lives rent-free in our minds when our roots are in our performance instead of God's love. But here's what it looks like when our roots are in God's love instead of performance. We make a mistake, we experience failure, and here's what happens. We're reminded that we never graduate from the gospel. And then we keep right on trucking forward. We don't, we don't, get paralyzed in that moment. We don't begin a downward spiral. We just remember, ugh, that is why I need the cross. And then I keep living my life. And it's not because you have a hard heart, right? That's not what allows you to keep moving forward. It's that you're rooted in the unshakable love of God. Here's the second area that Paul prayed for increase. He prayed for an increase in clarity. In verse 18, it says, and may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. And I love these verses. Um, part of my wiring, I like to think a lot. I like to think things through. Spent a lot of time as a kid staring at a fan thinking. Um, it was a good time for me. Um, and so when I look at this verse, he starts out and he's like, may you have the power to understand. Initially, it sounds like a super cerebral process. Like, I hope you can wrap your mind around this concept. And I had told Nat recently, um, at one point, I can't remember if it was birthday or Christmas, I asked for a concordance in college. Like, so I would look at this verse and be like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to research. I want to see why deep, high, long. Like, what does the original language say? But then Paul, immediately in verse 19, after he says, may you have the power to understand, then he turns around and he says, though it is too great to understand fully. Wow. You're like, wait, wait, am I supposed to understand? He's like, yes, but also 
you can't. Um, and here's why. This kind of clarity does not come from thought. It comes from experience. There are some realities that are just too expansive and too potent for the mind to absorb on concept alone. They demand to be experienced. And we know what that feels like. We know, right, when someone says, I love you, it's like, okay, yeah. But when someone chooses you over something else you know that they deeply value, you're like, whoa. When someone says, I forgive you, and you know you don't deserve it, it's like, oh, thank you. But then when they treat you like you never even harmed them, whole nother story. When someone says, hey, let me know if you need anything, right? But then when everything hits the fan in your life and they're at your doorstep delivering food and they're taking your kids to school and they're actively tangibly walking out what it means to be in your corner, that's a whole nother level of understanding. We all know there's a difference between the concept of something and the lived experience of something. And it's what David is talking about in Psalms chapter 34, verse 8, where he says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. He's like, I can talk about the goodness of God till I'm blue in the face, but you won't get it until you've lived it. Right? And then again, Paul follows up this prayer. He's like, yes, I want you to have clarity, but here's what it looks like. Here's how you can tell that you have the kind of clarity that I'm asking God for on your behalf. In verse 20, he says, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. When I read this verse, I could not shake the words complete and that phrase fullness of life and power. Because in other words, when you have this kind of clarity and understand the width, the length, the depth, the height of God's love for you, you become aware and you become aware that you lack absolutely nothing. And I felt like God put this on my heart for a very specific group of people that you need to hear that your lifelong battle with insecurity has absolutely nothing with how you see you and everything to do with how you believe God sees you. That you think God looks at you and he sees someone who's broken, not good enough, a failure, maybe a lost cause because you keep trying and failing and trying and failing. You feel like God looks at you and he sees a waste of time or that he doesn't even look at you anymore. But if you want to know what God says he sees when he looks at you, he says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. But the truth is you'll spend the rest of your life circling that drain of insecurity until you make the choice to gain your sense of value from the one who created your value. Um, Albert Einstein has this quote. It's one of my favorites. He says, everybody is a genius. But if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it will live its whole life believing that it's stupid. And God says, everybody is a masterpiece. You were fearfully, you were wonderfully made. God's words, not mine. But if you define your value apart from the one who created your value, you will spend your entire life riddled with insecurity. Because when you truly, deeply experience and understand the irrationally lavish love that God has for you, your mind 
will be transformed to the extent that you know 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 that you are complete and you are full of life and power and you lack nothing. Here's the third area that Paul prayed for. He prayed for increase in our capacity. Now, as I said, I like, I like to work out, um, but I did not grow up in a super strong culture of like activity or fitness in my home. And so that actually played out with a lot of shame. And um, in my early teens, I kind of started dealing with eating disorders. And I, I wrestled with that for many, many, many years, over 15 years. Um, and I will never forget the day that I was in a Pilates class and my now friend, Natasha, she straight up started preaching in this class. She said, so many of you are in here and you are obsessed with what your body looks like. And she said, I feel like I'm here today to tell you that that obsession will destroy you. And she said, I feel like I'm here to challenge you today to not be obsessed with what your body looks like, but I want to challenge you to be obsessed with what your body can do. And she said, so many of you were in this class a month ago and you couldn't hold a plank for 10 seconds, but I've been talking to you for well over 90 and every person in this room is still going strong. And I remember like in that moment, it was like a light bulb went off in my soul. And to say that I began to have a passion for movement is like an understatement. I felt like I was on fire. Anything movement, anything challenge grit, I just became obsessed because I realized, oh my goodness, my body can do so much. And then I went through this season where I was like, I want to, if it involves movement, I'm in it. So I was like, I'm going to start rock climbing. I joined a rock climbing gym. I started taking dance classes. I was almost 30. I was in dance classes with teenagers living my best life. Um, I started running more. I started longboarding. Um, I promise you, Michael Malay is my witness that I tried to join a parkour gym. Um, and I know that I looked like I was having like a quarter life crisis for anyone that had known me for any extended time, but that's not what was happening. What was happening is I was discovering that my lived capacity was not my actual capacity. My lived capacity was so far beneath my actual capacity. Um, I actually grew up with very severe asthma to the point where I was hospitalized, like admitted into the hospital for multiple days every year for many, many years. Um, and so I had grown up with the belief that the more I moved, the sicker I would get, right? Because a lot of times when I would go play outside with my cousins, it almost always ended in Jasmine's inside. She has a breathing treatment. Now she has to sit still for the rest of the day. And so it was like, why even try, Right. And so imagine the shock when I realized that the more I moved, the less sick I got. <laughs> I literally was like, it's on like Donkey Kong. I was like lit because I realized, man, it, you know, it's one thing to be obsessed with movement because you're like, I like what it does for my body. It's another thing when you're like, I never thought I'd be able to do this. I never thought I'd be able to run six miles and not die. <laughs> I never thought that I was capable of this. But the reality is, I thought my capacity was movement was so small. But my capacity was not too small. My thinking was too small. My expectations were too small. My beliefs were too small. 
Paul says this in verse 20. He says, now, he's like, open your eyes. Look at this right now. All glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. And I love the way the New King James Version puts it. He says, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. And Paul legit spared no expense with all those adverbs. Did you hear that? And he's like, God's power is exceedingly, it's abundantly, it's above, it's beyond. Like I, I can't quantify the power of God. The limit does not exist. That's what Paul's saying. The limit does not exist. There's another version that says God's able to do immeasurably more than all we might ask or imagine. And, and that is intricately woven into our story here at Queen City. In fact, if you go to HQ, where our offices are, if you walk in downstairs, you'll see in massive font on a wall, it says immeasurably more immeasurably more because we are people who will live and die on the hill of God's immeasurably more provision in our lives because we've seen it. We've seen it and lived it over and over and over again. Listen, God's ability is unlimited, but it can absolutely, our lived experience can absolutely be limited by our beliefs. God's ability is unlimited. There's nothing he can't do. But our lived experience can absolutely limit our experience of God's ability. And the truth is, if you're in a space in life where you're living that limited experience, you need to know that there is more for you. God has so much more for you. God has so much more for each and every one of us than anything we could even imagine. But if we don't let him transform our mind and our thinking, the way we think, then the way that we think can absolutely become the ceiling on what God wants to do in and through us. So Paul, this great coach, who oversees so many people in the Bible, I mean, so many of the books in the New Testament, he wrote those. Like, he is one of the founding fathers of following Jesus, right? And he looks at us and he says, hey, if you want to experience the fullness of God, the fullness of the gospel, here are some areas that I'm asking God to move on your behalf. I'm asking God to increase your core. I'm asking God to increase your clarity. I'm asking God to increase your capacity. If there's anything in your life that we can pray for, please visit queencitypeople.com slash prayer. For the latest updates on our church, follow us on social media at queencitypeople or visit queencitypeople.com.